Welcome back to Canna Week, brought to you by New Frontier Data, where we deliver the week's top headlines in cannabis and hear experts weigh in on the impact these stories are having on the industry. I'm your host, Heather Wickline. Before we get started, if you are loving this podcast, please be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, and share this episode. So today, we are going to be talking about Canna Curriculum. So I am thrilled to welcome our first guest. He is a professor, a business coach, two-time author, and dedicated cannabis ambassador. He is founder of High New York, one of the largest cannabis meetups, and currently serves as academic director of cannabis degree programs at LIM College. Please welcome Mr. Mike Z. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you all today. Amazing. And our in-house expert is um, her first time on Canna Week. Please welcome our VP of Public Policy Research at New Frontier Data, Dr. Amanda Ryman. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. I know. I like having another lady on here. Um, So, Michael, you started in cannabis in 2014. Is that right? That's right. Amazing. So what what was happening in your life that you said, I'm going all into cannabis? What is there any kind of like, you know, pivoting moment that made you think that this is this is the time? Yes, actually, it's, uh, I'll tell you the quick story. It's it's uh, I'll try my best to keep it quick. But I had been a consumer for many years. And then um, in late 2013, I had a freak accident that forced me to have emergency surgery. And then I had a several month long recovery process. And, and this all happened in California. At the time I was working at Google, had a nice life. I was, you know, enjoying, enjoying the Bay area. I was in my early twenties and, you know, this accident really sidetracked everything and forced me to move back home to New York city where I could be with my family and they could support me in my recovery. And so after I I healed up and uh, got back to work, went back to the tech world um, to start up. And after a couple of months of working there, I was like, what the hell am I doing with my life? This is, this feels meaningless. This feels empty. I I need to do something different. And after this near death experience with this accident, I, I felt like I don't have the time to waste doing stuff that doesn't doesn't inspire me. And so I, I quit my job and decided to go get trained in coaching and start a life coaching business. And so a couple of months after that, I went to a cannabis event, you know, and I really went just for fun because I had been a stoner, but completely uneducated stoner. And I went to this event and there I met some OG activists like Dana Beal, who's been advocating for cannabis reform for literally 50 plus years now. Um, I met some medical patients. I met some justice impacted people. And when I heard some of their stories and also got my first bit of real cannabis education from them, it was that was like my aha moment where I discovered all of this stuff about cannabis that I'd never known. None of my friends who I enjoyed cannabis with for years had ever talked about. And I, I was really furious. I was like in disbelief that no one had ever told me about any of this stuff. And also that we had this, what, what I believe to be an incredible natural resource, one of the most versatile plants in the world. And instead of using it for healing and for 
for good, we were using it to systematically destroy certain communities. And I was just like, I, can, I can't in good faith continue to benefit from the cannabis plant and not do something to contribute towards the plant and the community. And so I was inspired to start creating these education events through High NY, uh, where I would bring in leaders and guest speakers and folks like Dr. Amanda Ryman, who know so much more about cannabis than I do. And, and I, I would bring them in to educate others and also to educate myself, quite frankly, because I was, I was thirsty for cannabis knowledge. And it was, you know, back in 2014, it was still very difficult to find good, not good information on cannabis. And so that's kind of how it all started for me. Amazing. That 2014 was when New Frontier Data was formed too. So I think it was that kind of need for data. Um, and I think prior to, you know, I guess 2017, I don't know, it, it, you were basically, if you were collecting data on your own operation, you're building an indictment against yourself. So, <laughs> so uh, we definitely, we feel your pain. That's the reason why we were created in the first place. Um, that's amazing. So what, um, how often are your meetups happening in New York? Are they, are they still? Yeah, so it used to be every month. And for several years, we, we had a monthly event. Um, you know, once the pandemic hit, that obviously disrupted events. And, and to be honest, that I, it was a welcome disruption for me because after producing dozens of events, I was like, you know, I don't mind taking a break from this for a little while and, and putting my creative efforts elsewhere. And so since the pandemic, we, we've only had a handful of events and, uh, you know, I, I got involved with LIM College and took on this new opportunity that's taken a significant chunk of my time. But I, I am hoping to, to have some events back soon because people keep asking me, when's the next event? When's the next event? So now I feel obligated to, to create something. Well, you have to let us know because I go up to New York very often because um, I'm from there. So oh, wonderful. <laughs> I'd love All, right. That. All right. We have to collaborate then. Yes. Amazing. Um, okay. And also just because you're a little plug for Dr. Amanda Ryman, I will tell you, she has been a rock star on our team. I don't think our LinkedIn has blown up with this many likes and congratulations when she joined us. So we are thrilled to have her. But um, all right, well, moving on, um, Forbes reported uh, higher ed cannabis career bound students may now apply for college scholarships. So as the industry grows and consumers become more intentional with their consumption, um, cannabis education for both consumers and future operators becomes even more important. So um, and cannabis certification programs at accredited colleges and universities like Syracuse, Northern Michigan, Stockton, University of Rhode Island may be an important step towards normalization. So, Michael, you are in the thick of it. How would you describe the current state of cannabis education in the U.S.? Yeah, I would say it's very, very early stage. Like we're, we're just at the forefront of it. We're blazing the trails as we speak. Um, you know, if you look at, I, I, I looked up some data because I wanted to come, come appropriately with, with some data for you. Uh, my, my belief is that there's only, you know, something like 100, 120, 150-ish colleges in the entire world that have any kind of cannabis anything offered. So that's, you know, not even 1% of all the colleges in the world and something like 
maybe 2% of the colleges in America that have any kind of cannabis programming. And so we're super early on, you know, I, I think it's, it's really the beginning of it all. I, I anticipate that, you know, if we were having this conversation five, 10 years from now, those numbers will be exponentially higher and it will be eventually such a common, normal thing that people won't even think twice that, oh yeah, of course this college has a cannabis research institute or whatnot. So, um, you know, it, it almost reminds me of those early days in New York in 2014 when compassionate care uh, passed and, and we started adopting a medical cannabis program. And, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of excitement and a lot of opportunity. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see this evolution because I think at the beginnings when you talked about cannabis education, it was pretty much about cannabis as a drug. It was woven into substance abuse courses, um, you know, drug education courses. And then the, the big joke was, oh, you know, cannabis class, what do you teach people how to smoke pot? And this idea that it would become a vocation and that you would need technical knowledge, you know, I think it really started funneling through the medical system when we started talking about medical cannabis and who was educated and, and ready to talk about medical applications. Um, I believe it was 2005 or six, um, I did a class on cannabis for UC Berkeley Extension. And you know they were wanting to bring in people from the healthcare field, you know, people that were nurses and that were occupational therapists and who were working with medical cannabis patients but knew nothing about cannabis. Um, to learn more about the plant in order to be better at their jobs. And I think as we've seen the evolution of cannabis education, um, as Mike said, you know, it's not just the plant. It's all of these ancillary opportunities and vocations where knowledge of the plant will make you a better marketer, will make you a better finance person, will make you a better accountant, will make you, a, you know, there's so many opportunities um, that I think we're finally starting to see how the mainstreaming of cannabis education is really just about vocational training, really, when, when you get down to it. Yeah, I've actually, I, I did a little research on this a while back, and I, I there, I mean, obviously there's the agricultural um, programs, but then there's public policy, law, I mean, there's so much, and then obviously, like you said, the uh, medical side. Um, you know, John and I actually had a meeting with someone, and they, uh, they were asking, how, how do you learn to grow this? How, how do people get into this? And, you know, John kind of just cheekily said, well, they were doing it illegally for many years. <laughs> That's how they became the experts. So it's, um, it's pretty wild. Um, so getting back to education. So Michael, why, why is it so important to formalize, you know, through these accredited programs? Yeah. So I think there's a couple of reasons. One, I, I think it provides further legitimacy for the industry and, you know, it's what, what I believe is bringing the mainstream to cannabis and showing them that this is okay, this is not the devil's lettuce and, and that, you know, there's a real need for this. It's not like these colleges and universities are, are doing this because they want to, like, like Amanda joked, and I, I hate when people say this to me, like, what are you teaching how to roll joints? And like, I, I, I still get all of those stupid comments, even eight years into this thing, which is, you know, amazing. But um, I, I think that one is, is to legitimize this, but two, there's a real workforce gap 
You know, we have right now over 400,000 people employed in the legal cannabis industry. And, you know, I think that number is expected to reach over a million in the next 10 years. And, you know, this is a growing industry. It's a, it's a highly competitive industry where leadership and personnel make a world of difference. And so, you know, who's going to fill these jobs? Who, how, how can you expect the industry to grow and mature if we don't have a workforce that, that knows about cannabis and that, that not only knows about cannabis, but has been trained and educated to a certain standard? And so I, I think it's really important for a variety of reasons. And, you know, also going back to the point you made, how do you learn about this stuff? Well, up until recently, you know, there was really, you had to be your own educator. You had to be your own researcher. Uh, when I started, I, I traveled the country to meet people like Amanda Ryman, who have been in this industry, in the community, doing the work so that I could ask them questions and learn from them. And I like to joke that, you know, up until recently, it's been an oral tradition because, you know, nobody wanted to write this stuff down. And, and certainly there are no peer reviewed this or, you know, textbooks or any of this stuff because it was risky and, you know, people didn't want to put themselves in, in harm's way and the legal system's way by, by demonstrating how knowledgeable they were about cannabis. Right. I would add, even though it's not nearly as sexy an answer as what Mike just gave, I think that there's also a standardization piece that employers are looking for. So, you know, I can come in and say, oh, yeah, I took a manufacturer training course. But if that wasn't part of some greater accredited body, it's really tough for me as an employer to know, well, what was that course? Was it just an afternoon in someone's manufacturing facility where they were showing you how the equipment works? Or did you take a course? that's explaining the different pieces. And of course, different jobs without, across the industry are gonna require different levels of training. There isn't as much liability issue with somebody taking a marketing course and then going into cannabis marketing as somebody doing volatile extraction because they say they've been certified in manufacturing. So I think that as we start to expand the industry and look at more technological you know, mechanisms and automated mechanisms for, on which this industry operates, we do it to ensure that people going into those jobs have a level of training that's not going to leave the company liable for accidents, um, for workman's comp cases. And so a lot of times accredited universities and colleges are set up to develop curricula that are standardized across the board. And I, I could almost see us getting to a point where there is like a cannabis manufacturer's program that becomes an accredited program by a certain body and then that is delivered in multiple areas. That's what we do in social work. So my degree is in social work. It's what we call a professional degree, meaning that the curriculum is overseen by the Council on Social Work Education. And every social work program in the whole country that's accredited teaches the same things. And so I, I think that's probably where we're going to be going with some of these more technical things within cannabis. Um, Mike, I'm curious if you agree with that. I 100% agree with that. And I think I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I think that's one of the most exciting parts of being in the formal cannabis education space right now is that there is no, by and large, there are no industry standards. And you know, we can get into why that is and how each market is regulated differently, all that stuff. But 
the fact of the matter is for the industry to really reach its full potential, we're going to need that standardization. And I, I believe that higher ed is probably the best way to introduce that into the industry and, and to create that pathway to standardization. And of course, we need help from policymakers and industry and, and community stakeholders to, to make that happen. But I think it, you know, this represents an opportunity to raise the standard across the board in the industry and, and to set up the industry for long-term success. Right. I was looking at your program and there's like a lot of just kind of this different courses and there's anything from cultivation to manufacturing and retailing and product development and merchandising. What has, have you seen a, a particular draw to one, uh, like one of the courses or have you seen something gain more popularity? So our programs are focused on the business and the industry and, and our intention in creating these degree programs and LIM College has both a bachelor's in the business of cannabis, which is you know, a four-year pretty typical business degree that you're doing all of your core business classes from accounting and you know spreadsheets and marketing and all that stuff and your general education requirements and on top of that 30 credits of cannabis business specialized coursework and and so you know you're really getting a full on business degree that applies across the board because business is business but you're also getting this highly specialized cannabis knowledge and the intention was that when students come out of the program they'll be ready to take a job in the industry and contribute from day one because they're going to understand how the supply chain works. They're going to understand the importance of compliance and how different markets have different regulations. And they're going to have a holistic view of the industry so that they could you know, manage growth, manage people, and, and contribute. And you know, the master's degree is also business of cannabis, one-year degree, and it's really aimed at career switchers and people who are transitioning into cannabis and, you know, want to come in with that credential and with that knowledge so that an employer, potential employer can say, oh, hey, this person is really committed. They took the time and money to invest in actually going through, you know, an accredited program that was designed by industry and you know clearly they're serious so um you know i'm i'm, I'm sorry i forgot the question as i, no, as okay. I was no, going no, no. through a... <laughs> oh. well no i mean i actually kind of just thinking about this coursework so who 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 were like the who were you seeking out to be the teachers for these programs yeah so uh, i i'm i'm glad you asked because i'm incredibly excited about our faculty and, you know, one of the nice things I joked about, uh, you know, being one of the first schools to offer these kind of degrees, you know, where the first in New York State to have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree in cannabis. And so I, I was very lucky that I could go to some of the people at the top of my list and no one's offered them the opportunity to be a professor yet. And so they were excited and, and signed on. So I, um, we have Jesse Horton, who's the co-founder of the Minority Cannabis Business Association and CEO of Loud. Uh, Dashita Dawson, 
who had a successful career in, in, I guess I would call it mainstream marketing and retail, and then became a cannabis entrepreneur and activist. And now is the regulator for the city of Portland, Oregon. Um, we have Penelope Nam Steven, who also came from the fashion world and now runs a dispensary in Massachusetts. And, you know, everyone that we have teaching for us is full-time in the cannabis industry and has been doing it for years. And the way we develop our courses is we, we basically pair these subject matter experts with an instructional designer and they work in tandem to create uh, their specific course. And then I'm, I'm in, in, in the miraculous position of making sure that all of this works together and that, you know, by the time a student graduates through the program, they'll have an understanding of all these different moving parts and moving, uh, you know, and, and the idiosyncrasies of the business of cannabis, because certainly this industry is very unique. Um, you know, that being said, I, I think you asked me, what, what have students been excited about? Um, you know, so we launch the program this fall. So we haven't actually started our classes, but what I can tell you is that every single student who I've spoken with who's enrolled, they are so excited about this. Like, they were like, this is a dream come true. This is, I've been waiting for something like this. And, you know, and at first I was like, really, you know? Um, but then I thought back to myself eight years ago and, and even myself in college, and, you know, if you would have told me you can go study the business of cannabis, I would have been thrilled. I would have been, you know, the first guy online to sign up for those classes. So um, I, I think, you know, there's the beautiful thing about cannabis is that it's intersectional and it touches everything. And so there's something for everyone. And, you know, our program is business focused, but there are programs that are you know, healthcare and medical focus. There are programs that are science and extraction focused or programs that are more agricultural focused. And, you know, I think it's great that there's a variety of options. Um, so, you know, I think it all depends on what a student is looking uh, to learn about and the career path they're looking for. But, you know, I I'm excited about how excited all the students have been because it's not like people are like, oh, you know, let me get a degree in, in economics or, or maybe I'll do business of cannabis. No, it's like the people who are signing up for this are gung-ho about it, which is, which is great because, you know, I think they're going to get a lot out of it. Yeah, I spoke to um, a university, I think in somewhere in Colorado, but they said that they had some kind of cannabis studies program. And I think the first year they had 200 people sign up. And then the second year they had like 2,500 and they wow. said it was just, I mean, it was just to have to get a bigger lecture hall. I mean, it was just a wild thing that they were so shocked at how many people wanted to go into that. Amanda, what have you seen as far as on the um, academic side? Because I know you're out in California. Um, yeah, well, we like agriculture, as you mentioned, is really yeah. big here in California. So UC Davis um, has a hemp program and they do research. Um, UC Berkeley has a cannabis research program, which is actually kind of funny. So, you know, I was at Berkeley as a student from 2002 to 2006, and as a professor from 2006 to 2016, 
No one else was studying cannabis. I was the only one. I was like out there all by myself with the alcohol people. And like now they have a whole cannabis research institute, which is fantastic because one of the things about young scholars coming up through these programs is the question is, what are the opportunities for me? Um, you know, the federal government doesn't want to fund any research on the benefits of cannabis. So if you're somebody that wants to become a researcher, how do you fit into this world? And I think the opportunity to take classes that specifically pertain to cannabis helps kind of get you in the position to become that scholar, to become that researcher. But I also want to stress that it's not just about plant touching, right? As I said before, so I've been teaching in Excelsior College's Cannabis Control Program, which uh, is an online college also based in New York. And most of their students are veterans. Uh, most of them are adult learners. And many of them are interested in the kind of control and regulatory side of cannabis, including law enforcement, um, regulatory agencies. And so I think, yes, it's absolutely important that we educate people that are going to work within the industry on cannabis. But it's also just as important that we educate the police officers and the regulators and you know the people that are running these programs administratively also about cannabis. Um, because, you know, one of the huge policy guffaws that we see happen is when people that know nothing about cannabis try to regulate and control cannabis. So I, I feel like it's a, a like a personal duty to ensure that the people that are, you know, looking for the illegal activity that are dealing with people who are doing illegal activity, that they also have a really good understanding of the cannabis plant, of the history of prohibition. And so I think there's so many opportunities to educate folks, even folks that aren't like, I want to open a dispensary or I want to work in manufacturing, but instead feel that their eventual occupation will connect with cannabis in some way. Oh my God, I love that. that that's why she's the OG. <laughs> right, I'm out here educating the police. Like I'm like... <laughs> I love it. Well, Michael, what do you think this kind of like formalized education is going to have? Like, what kind of impact will that have on hiring um, in the industry, do you think? Yeah, I think it's going to make a huge, huge impact. I can tell you this is kind of my favorite running joke since I've joined LIM is, you know, we have more cannabis employers and jobs and internships available than we have students right now. Because when, when we announced the programs, uh, you know, people started calling me left and right, asking for interns and students. And, and I think there's a great demand for talent. And, you know, especially if someone is passionate and interested enough to commit themselves to a full on degree program in cannabis, you know, I think that shows to an employer that, oh, this person's not going to quit after three months, you know, they're going to, they're in it for the long haul, and they want to be here. And, so I think industry is pretty excited, honestly, about the fact that there's going to be more and more of these programs in higher ed. And I think there's also a lot of, a lot of really passionate people within the industry and within the community who have dedicated their lives to, to the cannabis movement, who have a lot of knowledge that they want to pass on and they want to make sure that things are done to a high standard. So by and large, I, I feel like um, the industry has been super supportive and receptive and, and excited for, for this because I, I think they understand the importance and significance 
of, of uh, cannabis education being offered in formal higher ed settings. Amanda, do you have anything to add to that as far as the hiring process? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, I'm like an academic for life, right? Love college, was in there forever. Um, this is my concern. My concern is that, you know, having a college degree is an, an issue of access. Um, you have to have the money, you have to have the time, even though a lot of these programs are online or kind of work at your own pace. I mean, my students all have full-time jobs in addition to going to school. I don't wanna see a situation where employers are saying, I don't care if you've been cultivating for 10 years, you didn't go to college to get that cultivation degree and therefore I'm not gonna hire you. Or putting some of these degrees is like the only way you will be considered for the job. And I say this because I think this happens in broader academia. I think we got really stuck on this idea that a college degree was this signal of competence to the point where we started to ignore all others because our brains like to do that, right? They like to compartmentalize. So it's like, okay, college degree or no, that's easy. I like that. Um, but it's been to the detriment of people that don't have the money or the time or the access to college education. And until recently, couldn't even get funding for college if they had a drug felony. So I want us to continue this formalization and I want us to understand that there are a lot of very smart, very talented, very you know, educated on their own terms people in cannabis specifically that shouldn't be discounted just because they aren't able to, to access one of these formal programs. But I still support having these formal programs 100%. I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up. I knew this was going to come up and I, I, I sense that there's a, a learning opportunity for me here. Um, because I, I have the same issue with even bringing in faculty, where some of the people who have taught me a lot over the years and who, who I go to as my mentors and, and teachers in cannabis, they're high school dropouts. They don't, they never went to college. You know, they've been in industry. And because they lack that credential, they can't teach. Uh, you know, because of, you know, the way accreditation and, and the way higher ed is regulated and all that stuff. And so that barrier exists in cannabis, not only on the student side, but also on the faculty side. And, you know, it's a very interesting question that, to your point, Amanda, is I think it's a bigger question of higher ed. It's not just a cannabis question, but I, I think because of cannabis, it, it, Hopefully, we'll bring this question to the forefront in higher ed, and and hopefully more institutions will be asking. Well, certainly, this is the case in other areas as well. And how do we account for that? How do we make sure that education is inclusive and that people who traditionally haven't had access? How do we how do we create some kind of pathway for them? And you know, I. I certainly don't know what the answers are to those questions. If you have any thoughts, I'd love to hear it. But I, th I think even just having that conversation and bringing more awareness to this is, is critically important. Well, I mean, just quoting this to like the Forbes article, they're saying that you can now get college scholarships for, you know, people and cannabis career bound students. So that's, that's a, a little step in that direction. Um, 
Yeah, we want to make sure there's scholarships. Uh, we want to make sure that there's a wide variety of access points for education. And, you know, to your point, Mike, about like this being part of the larger discussion about education, it is. We've definitely seen an evolution away from the required full-time in-person four-year degree as being kind of like the holy grail of academia. And we're seeing more programs that are part-time, definitely more programs that are online. And we're also seeing employers understand that you know, there are vocational trainings, there's academic training, and that they have all have their value. So I think it's really going to be us just being really aware that as we have this inside need of like cannabis to be accepted and cannabis to be normalized and cannabis to be part of this kind of grander scheme of how we do work, that the prohibition of cannabis and the people that were impacted means that we have to be extra careful that we're not creating a system that only allows certain people to participate fully. And that goes for cannabis across the board, not just related to academia, right? Well, we are almost out of time, but um, Mike, any, any thoughts or prediction for, um, for cannabis in the US? Oh, um. <laughs> I love this part. Just look into your, your magic eight ball, you know. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think... You know, Amanda's touched on a lot of it of where cannabis education is going. I, I think she's got the right perspective that, you know, we will see more schools, we'll definitely see more schools getting into the space. And I think eventually we will see some of those, I guess, independent bodies that create some of that standardization. I think that's really necessary. Um, I think there's going to be some more policy discussions around how do we create a, a policy that that encourages more schools to participate and and adopt cannabis curriculums because you know right now there's the the uh, drug free schools and communities act that scares a lot of schools from even talking about cannabis and you know so how do we take advantage of the fact that there's all these people all over who want to be learning about cannabis, who want to contribute to research and, and the collective knowledge about cannabis, how do we create pathways for anyone and everyone who wants to be a part of it to, to be involved? I'm optimistic that we will figure that out over the next few years and that, again, you know, a decade from now, it'll be totally boring. And, you know, when people see, oh, you know, the Harvard Business School cannabis class or whatever, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, of course. And instead of being like amazed and what whatnot. So I, I think it's really an exciting time because as far as I see it, there's only growth ahead for the foreseeable future. And, you know, I think I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens internationally as well because you know who knows what what kind of policy changes we'll see in the next decade both domestically on the federal side of things but also internationally that could change everything because you know standards that didn't exist might be applied and everyone might have to get re-educated and you know, some great thing might be discovered that no one ever thought of before that could revolutionize everything. I, th I think there's still so much possibility out there. And, and in the grand scheme of things, I feel like we know so little about this magnificent plant 
that, you know, I, I think this is, you know, by, by formalizing cannabis education, not only will we accelerate all of the good things that cannabis can bring to humanity, but also I think it's going to create a whole paradigm shift around equity, the environment, and all of these other things that cannabis touches that, you know, hopefully will create a more compassionate world. Um, also, one thing we didn't touch on, but I think is worth mentioning is, you know, we're, we're talking about higher ed today, but, you know, we haven't really talked at all about public school, K through 12, you know, and where cannabis education fits into that. And, you know, I grew up as a product of the New York City public schools where I was learning about the D.A.R.E. program and all that stuff. You know, all of that needs to change. And from what I've seen, we're even earlier on in that. No one wants to touch that stuff. Those schools are extra scared to talk about cannabis. So who's going to redefine how all of that is happening? I, I, think, I think it's a big and important responsibility. I'm sure Amanda is probably involved in it somehow, which is good. That gives me some some peace of mind. But you know, I, I think there's a, a lot of impact ahead. So I'm excited about it all. Amanda, any predictions for you? Um, well, I will give a resource. So there is an amazing drug education curriculum that's available for free download online from Drug Policy Alliance. It's called Safety First. Uh, it's an updated version of the program that was created by Dr. Marsha Rosenbaum, and it's a harm reduction based curriculum for K through 12 on cannabis. And I do agree that that is really, really important. In terms of predictions, I think in addition to seeing kind of these very cannabis specific degree programs, we're going to start to see the proliferation of cannabis throughout academia um, across curricula, not just cannabis specific. So looking at it in environmental science courses, in public health courses, in social work courses, outside of it just being this dangerous drug that people shouldn't use. But for me, real mainstreaming begins when I'm sitting down to just a business class and cannabis as a case study comes up. Um, and, and I think that's where we're going to start to see things become more integrated, when it's not just about here are the cannabis classes, here are the rest of the classes, but that cannabis is an interesting use case that weaves its way into general curriculum. On point, as always. I, I, I agree with that. And uh, I'll just say one, one last quick thing, which is I, I don't know what the status is of cannabis being taught or the endocannabinoid system being taught in medical schools. But from what I understand, it's still very limited. And I think that's something that, you know, every chance I get, I want to raise awareness that, you know, the medical patients are often the first to be forgotten. And I, I think it, it's critically important that we encourage however we can for medical schools and anyone who's teaching healthcare professionals to include cannabis in their curriculum. In, in, in an appropriate factual way, not based on the propaganda of yesteryear. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Um, so Michael, we give everybody the chance to give a shout out to someone in the industry that you admire or think is doing great things. So you have the floor. Amazing. Oh, well, I'm gonna shout out my friend, Jake Plowden, who is uh, running the New York I guess he's the New York coordinator for SSDP, Students for Sensible Drug Policy. And, you know, Jake's just a great friend. He's got an awesome sense of humor and has just been a dedicated 
activist and advocate for many years now. And I love SSDP. I'm a huge supporter of theirs. And I love the work that he's doing here in New York and New Jersey and beyond to, to get the next generation of drug policy leaders, uh, you know, empowered, trained, educated, up and running. So shout out to, to Jake and, and Jason Ortiz and anyone involved with SSDP. Keep up the great work. Good shout out. I'll say my very first exposure to drug policy was in 1998 at the very first SSDP National Conference in DC. So they are completely responsible for everything that you see going on over here. There you go. There you go. So, you know, that's Amazing. what better case study can you possibly have? Well, SSDP, keep up the good work. Um, all right. Well, thank you both so much for joining us and thank you to our listeners. Um, and please remember to like, subscribe, and if you really love us, give us a five-star review. I am your host, Heather Wickline, and we will see you next time. New Frontier Data provides this podcast for entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated in this podcast should be taken as legal or financial advice. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by the company. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by New Frontier Data employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of the company or any of its officials. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact our legal department.